0: read the word for us this morning. Genesis 5, the entire chapter. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he'd fathered Kenan 850 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. And when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalal. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalal 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalala had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalala lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalala were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you for texts like even a text like this with a list of names with this genealogy. Lord, we trust, Lord, that it is God breathed, that it is profitable to us for for teaching us and training us in all righteousness, Lord. We come to your word this morning, and, and Father, we we ask that you would meet us. We ask that you would meet us with your grace. We ask that you would meet us in your mercy, in your kindness. God, would the gospel be beautiful to us this morning? Father, help us to come with this expectation of the Spirit to work in our lives this morning through the reading and through the preaching of your word. God, we know that your word does not return void, that it will accomplish the work that you have asked it to do in our lives. Lord, so be with us this morning and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, it's good to be back. Last week, my family was on vacation in Michigan, and it was a beautiful, restful time. We are grateful to be back in the swing of things. Uh, the, the Thursday that before we left for vacation, I got a call from my dad, and he uh, was letting me know that my grandmother, whose health has been ailing now for for several years, had entered under the care of hospice. So obviously things weren't weren't looking good, and that's never news that you want to receive. Um, it's news that makes you stop and think and, and reflect that, you know, death is inevitable, and it prompts all sorts of things that we don't ordinarily think about, right? And, you know, as I received this news, was obviously thinking and reminiscing about my time with her. She, she lives in, in Colorado, so the time that we do get to spend together is kind of few and far in between. But as I was thinking about her, I was thinking about the memories, the stories. I was thinking about her her legacy, if you will. I was thinking about the things that we did, the things that she said, the things that I still remember. And it just was this reminder that, you know, our days here are numbered. It was this reminder that our days here are numbered and that this, you know, the inevitability of death is it is bitter, sweet isn't it it's It's bitter because the people that we love they're no longer with us after they pass, and that's sad and it hurts, but it's also sweet because there's this comfort that just warms the heart, knowing that she'll she'll be with Jesus, and you know as I even get a text like this with Genesis 5 and thinking about legacy and lineage. I mean, you see just the faithfulness of God and his hand upon her life in just so many different areas. And I was thinking about that. I couldn't help but think about these stories about her and also think about how faithful God has been to her and to my family. How faithful he's been to comfort her as her as her health has declined slowly over the years. And it just was like you sit down at a text like this and you you see how how linked that the faithfulness of God is with with legacy, with this gospel legacy, how the two they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So you see the faithfulness of God here just shining through in our text. And we see that that God, he is faithful to his people and he's faithful to his purposes that God, He is faithful to His people. He is committed to you. He is committed to your transformation. He is committed to glorifying His name in your life. He is committed to your singleness. He is committed to your marriage. He's committed to your parenting. That He is faithful to you when you are unfaithful to Him. That He is committed to you more than you are committed to yourself, and that is such good news. That is a good thing, that God's faithfulness to us, it is constant, it is unwavering, it is not rooted in how how strong or how weak our faith is. Is it God's faithfulness to us? It's not rooted in either of those things. It's rooted in His character, in His faithfulness to His people. And this is the kind of God we need. This is the kind of God we need when we hear news Like I heard, you know, a week ago, this is the kind of God that we need. And this is what Genesis five shows us. This is a text about legacy, about God being faithful to his people, but also God being faithful to his purposes. He's faithful to his purposes. The purposes that he's established in Genesis 3.15 of defeating evil via this future descendant that will come from the offspring of the woman. The Lord, he says to the serpent that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the one who will ultimately defeat evil, who will bring relief from the curse, will do so yet at great cost to himself. So God, he's He's faithful. He's this this promise keeper. He's committed to making new and, and making and renewing what has been tarnished by sin. And he uses his people, his people that he calls to himself to fulfill his purposes. And he uses the generations that have come before us and the generations that will come after us. He uses the generations that we just read through Genesis 5, and he uses us today to establish and fulfill his purposes of bringing relief from the curse. So as we dive into this text, as I mentioned, it's this legacy text It gives us this like 50,000 foot view. It covers 10 generations and it shows us how we connect and how we got from Adam to Noah. And it just, it covers a lot of ground and it just shows us these generations that were, that were fruitful and multiplied, that filled the earth and, and subdued it. And we just saw and we heard just how much repetition there is. That there's, that there's, there's, there's birth, that there's life, that there's death, birth, life, death, Long, 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 long life too, matter of fact. But you see this repetition in this text and where we're really going to focus our time are are the few instances, it's there in your bulletin, of where the author Moses just just gives us a little bit more characterization, where he he goes on and, and says a few more things about a few of the people in this genealogy. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time in those passages that are there for you in the bulletin. So one generation begins, another ends, and God's people, they pass the proverbial torch of bringing relief from the curse. And you know, my my grandmother being in hospice, it, it forced me to think about legacy. It forced me to think about this text. It forced me to think about what kind of legacy that I will leave behind, and I know this question of, of legacy it 's this this big sort of daunting question, this big, deep question, but it 's this question that is that is worth our time and it 's a question' that 's worth asking that what will your legacy look like? What will my legacy look like? What will the stories be you know passed down about about me after after I pass whenever that may be that, that he 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 loved God. He loved his family. He served the church. He, he loved to eat cold Chinese food for breakfast, right? He, he loved, you know, uh, when Kyrie and LeBron were together and he's still a little disappointed that Kyrie's no longer here. Like, what are, what are all of those types of stories that will be passed down? What, like, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? As I asked this question, this legacy question, and maybe I'm just being nitpicky here, but or maybe this is just just a question of semantics. But I think it's important. I think, but I wondered if perhaps a better way to think about this topic is is to reframe that question and to ask this: How, how will my family unit? How will my family unit continue my grandmother's legacy of walking with God? How will my family unit continue the legacy? Of of walking with God. How will we continue our grandmother's my grandmother's legacy of walking with God? And I thought that was helpful for me to, to reframe the question that way because it helps me to realize that, that we can learn so much from, from, from those that come before us. That those that come before us in the faith, we can learn so much. We can emulate the good, but we can and we can also think through how we want things to look different. We can learn so much from from the faithful men and women who have come before us in the legacy of the gospel. And now I realize, I realize that that many of us, when we talk about legacy, that many of us sitting here this morning, that this is it's a tough it's a tough topic, right? It is it is difficult. It is tough to think through because we have difficult family situations the family lineage and family systems they can be utterly difficult and maybe as you're sitting there thinking about this topic and thinking through these things you have a really hard time thinking through the good things that you want to emulate you have a really hard time of thinking through the good that comes to mind because your family situation has been so difficult that what naturally comes to mind is just you just want to do everything differently, right? And I just want you to know that I see you, I lament with you, I realize it's not supposed to be that way. And you know, I, I do want to tell you that, in some ways, you're the first link in the chain. You are the first link in the chain, since you don't have great examples from your bloodline. And that you'll have to look outside your bloodline for those good examples to emulate. And I just want to say that the church is here for you. We're we're here for you. You may not have great examples that come from your bloodline, but you have a family in Christ. And we are here for you. It's beautiful that this is the type of community that the gospel builds. That the gospel forms in us a new type of community, a new family. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. So, as we talk about legacy, as we talk about how we want to live today, we're asking this question really of what does it mean for us to walk with God? What does it mean for us to walk with God? And since we see that God, He is faithful. He's a promise keeper that we must walk with him. That's the thrust of this text here. We see the faithfulness of God from generation to generation, and therefore today we must walk with him. So, walking with God, that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me read our passage, uh, verses 21 through 24. I'll just, I'll read this quickly again. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch, he walked with God. Even even Hebrews chapter 11, the the, the hall of fame of faith that talks about person after person who has come before us living a faithful life. Enoch is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. He's mentioned of his faithfulness, of his walking with God. So what does this mean? What does it mean for us to walk with God? Because surely this isn't the first time we've heard a phrase like this. Surely there are a lot of things that come to mind when we hear a phrase like walking with God. Uh, and, and you know, because the Bible uses this expression over and over again, and it uses it differently too. So for instance, we see this, this expression of even walking before God, or, or walking after God. In other parts of the Pentateuch, we see in Genesis chapter 17, Genesis 24, Deuteronomy chapter 13, that, that walking, that when we talk about, when it talks about walking with God, it's used in these sections, it's used in reference to, to moral living. It's used in reference to living a blameless life before God. It's used in reference to upholding the law of God and meditating on it day and night. And yet in our text, it's used differently. Our text, it's used differently, not in the sense of living this blameless and holy life, but rather instead of communion and intimacy with God. So when we talk about walking with God, here in Genesis chapter 5, we see that it's talking about communion and intimacy with God. That's what it's talking about. That's how walking with God is being used in our text. It's in reference to close, deep communing with God. And for instance, we're going to go to the minor prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, it helps us to understand this in a, a little bit more, in a, in a new light with what walking with God looks like, what communing with God looks like. So Malachi chapter two, beginning in verse four. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, the Lord is rebuking the priests here, he says, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. So what's happening here is we just kind of parachute in the middle of, of Malachi chapter 2 is that the Lord, he is rebuking his wayward priests. He's rebuking them, and, he, and he's doing that by, by putting this example of Levi, the priest, as this good example for, for the wayward priests to embody and to emulate. It says that Levi, he walked with God in peace and uprightness. And the other priests, they have turned aside they were not fulfilling their priestly duties, and the Lord, the Lord, get this, the Lord is revealing to them, he's saying to the priests, you are not communing with me, and it shows. You are not communing with me, you are not walking with me, and it shows. Ouch. That's, that's the rebuke of the wayward priests. You are You are not communing with me. And it shows this rebuke. It cuts straight to the heart. And what the Lord is saying, that if you are to fulfill your priestly duties, that if you are to instruct and teach the word and minister to God's people, that if you are to be a part of God's covenant people and bring relief as far as the curse is found, then commune with me. That's what the Lord is saying. He's calling these wayward priests back and saying, commune with me he cuts the lord he cuts to the chase he gets to the heart of the matter it's this invitation commune with me and now i realize that communing communing with god we we don't maybe use this word very often anymore to commune or communing with god it's this kind of contemplative religious sounding word but really all it means is When we talk about communing with God this morning, I'm I'm talking about plumbing through the depths of God. Plumbing through the depths of God. Examining the depths of God. Diving in and exploring who God is and and just the depth and the breadth of, of the gospel. So that's what I'm talking about when we talk about communing with God. It's exploring how deep and how wide is the gospel. How beautiful it is. And of course, of course, that we can never reach the depths of God, that he is infinite, that he is almighty, that he is the creator. So of course we cannot reach the depths of who God is and understand him fully. But when we talk about communing with God, I want us to think through that we get we get so caught up that we make it our business to see how just how inexhaustible, just how bottomless are the mercy and the grace of God. And now, just as just a very brief aside, that communing, communing with God is different than communion with God. Just a, a, a brief aside. There's a difference here between communing with God and communion with God. There's a difference. So, if you are in Christ, you have union with Him. You are united to Him. Jesus's words in the gospel, He says that I am in you and you are in me. This means that Jesus, that He is the source of of all the blessings of our salvation, from effectual calling all the way to glorification. That Jesus is the source of all the blessings of our salvation. And for instance, we we see that 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 how Paul primarily talks about believers through his epistles is that he says that believers are in him, that we are in Christ, that we are united with Christ, that we have communion with Christ, that our communion with God, our union with him, this is a status for all believers. It is our reality if we have professed and believed the gospel. And yet, it is this union with Christ, this communion, that gives birth to our communing with Him. So our communing with God, it is, it is our, our end of the bargain. It's our side of the covenant. It is our response to what God has done in our life, that we walk with Him, that we, that we, that we live communing with God. So communing with God, it's, it's, it's plumbing through and, and searching and diving in to just explore the, the bottomless depths of God. Communing with God. It's, it's like being in possession of this, this treasure chest and then just rummaging through it, right? Has anyone ever actually rummaged through a treasure chest? Like, if so, I would love to meet you. My, my boys are really into pirates right now, but it's just like you open the treasure chest and you're just rummaging through it. Your, your fingers are just touching the gold coins. You're seeing the way the light reflects off of the rubies and the gems and everything else that's pretty and shiny in there. I mean, you are just so excited that you are lifting those gold coins and you're just, you're making it rain, baby. You know, you're just so excited. You are elated over what wasn't originally yours, but what you have come into possession of. You are elated over that, of what you originally didn't have, but what you've come into possession of. We get God. This is what communing with God is like. And man, you know, reading reading and preparing for the sermon and, and hearing reading through Malachi chapter two, that text it it cuts me open. It it exposes me in a way that is uncomfortable. Because what that text is saying is that when we don't commune with God, when we aren't walking with Him, it shows, ouch, that our ethics reveal this, that the proof is in the pudding. And you know, so dis—so what that means for us is if we are dissatisfied with our Christian conduct, if we are dissatisfied with our ethics, if we are frustrated by how we are living The solution for us here this morning, and and this is never the solution, but the solution isn't for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The solution isn't for us to try to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves, and God never asks us to save ourselves. So that's never the solution for us when we feel dissatisfied with how we are living, with our conduct, with our ethics. It's never to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but instead, Your Creator, the Lord God, He is inviting you to walk with Him. He's inviting you to commune with Him. He's inviting you to be enamored by His gospel, by the reality that you get God. He's inviting you to plumb the depths and the beauty of the good news. And you know, some of us, and I, and I say this completely speaking from experience, but some of us here this morning, we're in possession of the treasure chest. We're in possession of the treasure chest, right? And, and it's like we're, we're a little too afraid of getting carried away, you know, over the treasure chest we're a little little apprehensive, you know. Now let's not get too enamored by it. Let's not be too moved by it. It's like we're thankful for it, but but we're not really moved by it. It's like this the treasure chest is there. It's in your house, it's in your room. It's sitting closed, maybe just collecting dust. Or maybe it's just sitting there and it's we we haven't opened the treasure chest in a while. And and I'm saying this as someone who has been there. I identify with that, I know what that's like, I've been there, I'm with you. And so if this is you, it's the treasure chest that what wasn't originally yours and now you've come into possession of. If that treasure chest is sitting there just collecting dust, if you feel like maybe you haven't opened it in a while, there's good news. You, you can still open it. You still have time. It's not, it's not too late. It's not too late to change. It's not too late to open and just rummage through and see everything that's there. It's not too late. And do you know why it's not too late? Because God is faithful to you. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to meet you in your place of humility, in your place of weakness, He's faithful to his covenant people. And you know, uh, this week, ironically, I did a lot of walking. I did more walking than I usually do. Not, not in light of this text, but just happenstance. You know, it was the week back from vacation, so I was feeling a little overwhelmed. I needed time to just sort of get the engine running and warm up the engine, thinking through, you know, the news about my grandmother, thinking about her, feeling sad feeling angry that she's dealt with chronic pain now for what seems like decades, feeling, feeling sad that the sickness has just ransacked her body, and just feeling, feeling upset about that. And, you know, I just was like, man, I'm so sick of the curse, right? I'm so sick of sin, it frustrates me it 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 angers me i'm I'm tired of of disease i'm tired of inequity i'm tired of of violence against the imago day i'm frustrated by by myself i'm frustrated by even my own desire and entitlement to want to receive grace from others but not to extend it i'm frustrated by by my own sin my own sin patterns and the, the things that I've, I've struggled with, with being impatient with my kids or, or harsh with my wife. I'm frustrated by all of that. But I went on this walk because I knew I needed it. I didn't want to go on this walk. I had, it was the week back from vacation. I had so many other important things that I needed to do, right? But, but I went on this walk because I knew I needed it. I needed the peace of God, the peace that he gives me that surpasses my circumstances. I, I needed a place to, to, to sort of shelve my worry. I needed time to process through. I needed time to feel sad. I needed time to feel frustrated and angry. And you know, God, he was faithful to meet me in this place. That God, he was faithful to meet me here in my place of weakness. That he was faithful to meet me here when I was all bent out of shape, all worked up, overwhelmed, stressed, sad, angry. Can you imagine overwhelmed, stressed, sad, angry Heath walking by the, through the park by himself? But you know, like God met me there that when we are at the end of our rope that when we feel like we've exhausted every other opportunity to depend on ourselves that when we have like i don't know i don't know what to do when we are there god shows up he is faithful to us he he meets us here in our place of weakness in our place of humility this is just what he does that he proves himself faithful to us time and time and time again. So if you're here this morning, and if you are just dissatisfied and frustrated by your Christian conduct, by how you are living, it's not too late to change. I want to Just make sure that's loud and clear. It is not too late to change. God is inviting you to walk with him. He's inviting you to plumb the depths and the beauty of his inexhaustible gospel. It's not too late. He's inviting you to walk with him. And you know, sometimes, probably more than we would like to admit, this is sort of the application for the the first application I'm going to touch on. And, And you know, sometimes more than we would like to admit we need to ask for help. We need to ask for help as we are trying to walk with God. We need to ask others to help us walk with God, to help us commune with God. We need to ask others to help us in studying the Bible, to help us with with sin struggles. We need to be known by others in community so we need to ask for help we need to initiate with others and ask for prayer we need to text our friends when we are struggling with sin They say hey let's 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 wake up super early or you know for lunch and read the bible together in community we need to ask for help in walking with god because we're not meant to be the lone ranger christian we're not meant to do this christian life alone we're not meant to to pursue and live church as as individuals we we are called as a community to go out on mission together so that's the the first application i'll i'll touch on asking for help and walking with god it is it is this communal call to not live by ourselves in isolation but to initiate and ask hey i need help hey can you pray for me hey can you watch my kid for an hour so I can have an hour of sanity. You know? Leaning on each other. Walking with God in community. So walking with God, we talked about how how that is that is communing with God. It is plumbing the depths of his mercy, of his grace. It is rummaging through the treasure of the gospel because we're so excited. We're so enamored by it. And we'll notice in the text, and this is where we'll We'll, we'll talk about the, the lineage of Noah, but we notice in the text that, that walking with God, walking with God, it cannot exclusively be this intellectual exercise. It cannot exclusively be theological gymnastics. It cannot just be this, this data download of getting more content and more knowledge and, and just kind of storing it all up in here. So that means if we are going to walk with God, if we are going to commune with Him, if we are communing with God, that also means that we're engaged in His purposes. That also means that we're engaged in bringing relief from the curse. It means we are engaged in in, in doing justice and doing mercy and, and walking humbly with God. It means that we are engaged in fulfilling the purposes that He has given to His people. And this is what what the author Moses is, the point that he is making in, in verses 28 through 32. Let me read that for us. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from, the, from our work and from a painful toil of our hands. And Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Lamech for 777 years, and then he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we see how our genealogy ends. We see how our text ends in setting us up Perfectly for what is to come. The chapter ends here, but then it sets us up perfectly for what's going to come in chapters 6 through 9, talking about the Noahic covenant, talking about how God is fulfilling and continuing to fulfill His purposes through His people, how God is bringing relief from the curse of sin, and how He uses us. We see that continue along throughout the, the rest of the biblical story. So this means that if we are communing with God, that our communing, it is never this, this, this just, solely just this intellectual exercise of more content and more, more data. Communing with God, it, it pushes us out into the world. It thrusts us out into the world. It, it, it moves our feet so that we might help bring relief from the curse. This is how inseparably, inseparably linked the, the two are of communing with God and bringing relief from, his, from, from the curse. This is, they're, they're, they're the two sides of the same coin. Look at how, how linked they are. That as we, as we find ourselves loving our neighbor as ourself, that inevitably is going to lead us into situations and circumstances that are uncomfortable. That as we are loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself, we're going to be in circumstances way out of our comfort zone. We're going to be like, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do it. But this is what following Jesus does when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we find ourselves needing to stand up for what is right, even if it is unpopular. We, we begin to find ourselves speaking up for those who don 't have a voice for, for sitting with the marginalized. We begin to find ourselves giving sacrificially of our time, of our talent, of our treasure. It is costly to us. We, we find ourselves op- offering up our our skills and our expertise and, and our interests to serve the body of Christ. We, we find ourselves doing things we never thought we would do before, but this is where Jesus takes us. This is what walking with God looks like. It's not just an intellectual data download, but it's, being, but it's being thrusted out into the world to bring relief from the curse to partner in the work that Jesus is doing to make all things new. We get to do that. It's amazing that he uses his people to fulfill his purposes. So when we find ourselves in these situations we never thought we would be in, when we find that we are exhausted, throwing our hands up in the air, God will provide. He will meet you. He won't leave you or forsake you. He will empower you to speak with his spirit. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of us. So communing with God, it pushes us out into the unknown at times. And you know, here's how inseparably linked they are. of Communing with God and bringing relief. But as we step out into these circumstances that are unknown and unfamiliar, do you know what happens? Our faith grows. We find ourselves trusting God with things that we never thought that we could trust him with before. Maybe the things that we're white-knuckling and holding on to right now. We find ourselves trusting and believing the gospel and seeing it more beautifully than we ever have before in our place of weakness. As we step out there and take a risk, as we, as we step out there to bring relief from the curse, we find that God shows up. We find that we are that our faith grows. We find that we have this deep and sweet and intimate communion with God that we didn't have before. And that, my friends, it 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 changes us. It changes us. We, we begin to see God bigger than we ever have before. We begin to see the gospel more beautifully. We begin to see image bearers more clearly. It changes us. You will be changed. So my question for all of us this morning is this. What's, what's holding you back? What is holding you back? How is the fear of failure preventing you from taking steps and bringing relief where the curse is found? What are you overthinking? And maybe, I'm a classic overthinker, right? But what are you maybe overthinking that just need to act? Just need to take a step? Just take one step. What does that look like? What is holding you back? Is it, is that one step, you know, inviting the family who just moved into the neighborhood over to dinner? And you're like, I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know what we're going to make, but I'm just going to just kind of toss this invitation out there and just see what happens. Is it is it doing something like that? Is it is it asking a friend who you have a relationship with, who you've built rapport with, you know, and just saying something to them along the lines of, you know, like, I, I know I've talked about my church before with you, how I'm going this weekend and doing a church activity or how I got small group tonight. You know that I'm involved in church, and I just I just want to ask you, you know, what do you think of church? what do you think of Christianity? What do you, what do you just think of, of Jesus? I'm, I'm honestly just curious and, and curious what you think. Every time I tell you I'm going to Bible study, every time I tell you I'm going to go eat giant turkey legs at the Oktoberfest. I'm excited for that. But, but you know, is it, is it asking a friend just that simple question and, and, and maybe getting and learning about an area of their life that you haven't talked about before? Is it possibly going back to school and getting further training for something that you always wanted to do? Is it applying for a position on the job board that you just have been eyeing for so long, but you haven't applied for whatever reason? You know, and, 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 and asking these types of questions, the, the scope is so big, because when we ask these types of questions, like, how is God calling me to bring relief from the curse? We inevitably think through, well, what Business, can I create? What, what nonprofit can I start? What, what nonprofit can I partner with that is laboring for the common good? We think, we think that big. We think through, you know, how does the curse just make you sick to your stomach? How does it just make you angry? What issues keep you up at night? And what are you going to do about it? What's the one step that you can take this week? How will you bring relief from the curse this week? What are those issues that you're just passionate about, that you just feel wrecked when you read about on the news? What are they? How can you bring relief this week? So I'm going to end by not reading the genealogy again for y'all, but I'm going to end by a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. in, in his sermon on uh, the book of Daniel, and we've read this before here at, at New City, um, but it's just something that has stuck with me. So here's here's what he says: the sermon notes. And I say to you this morning that if you've never found something so dear and so precious that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. You may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You are afraid that you will lose your job or afraid that you will be criticized or or that you will lose your popularity. Or that you are afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot at you or bomb your house so you refuse to take a stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you are just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of your breathing in your life is but a belated announcement of an earlier death in the Spirit. You died when you refused to stand up for what is right. You died when you refused to stand up for truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. These boys that stand before us today, and I thank God for them, for they have found something. The fiery furnace couldn't stop them. He's talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fiery furnace couldn't stop them from believing. They said, Throw us into the furnace. That's the challenge. That's the challenge for me. That's the challenge from this text. That is the challenge. So whether biological or the family of God, how will you continue the gospel legacy that has come before you? God is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his purposes. So how are we going to walk with him? Let's pray.